Earlier this month, in August 2022, the Biden administration launched the new U.S. strategy towards sub-Saharan Africa, which seems to be more about geopolitical competition with Russia and China than positive engagement with the African continent. All while China has just announced that it's removing almost all trade tariffs on exports from 16 of the world's least developed countries, many of which are in Africa. I'm Amadeus Musumali, and together with Mika Eshkok, we discuss trade and great power politics in Africa in this episode of The Crane, an Africa-China podcast. What we seek most of all is a true partnership between the United States and Africa. We don't want an imbalanced or transactional relationship. And our commitment to a stronger partnership with Africa is not about trying to outdo anyone else. And the, 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 the choice that we offer, uh, at least that we hope and expect to offer, uh, is uh, an, aff- an affirmative one. Well, as you've heard in the clip from Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who recently, just last week on 8th of August, visited South Africa on Monday to launch the new U.S. strategy towards sub-Saharan Africa, we kind of are hearing a bit of contradictory sentiments. On the one hand, he's trying to show us Africans get to choose, we get to use our own agency. But on the other hand, we still see an underlying political approach that he wants to further, namely an antagonism towards China and Russia. So, Part of what we wanted to discuss today is precisely what informs some of of these strategies that are coming not only from the US, but of course from China and how Africans are receiving it. We have to keep in mind the political dimension behind these kinds of trade agreements and various state-to-state agreements, because right now China is the second largest economy, although if you look in terms of Uh, what is called purchasing power index, we actually see that China is greatly outpacing the US. And although the US still has, you know, is ahead in per capita income terms, China now is considered a developed country. And we know that this has been shown and proven in how it lifted over 800 million people out of extreme poverty in the year of the coronavirus 2020. So we're seeing that the U.S. has become increasingly concerned about how China is growing, not only economically, but their political reach across the continent, uh, as well as the global south. We saw this predominantly in Donald Trump's presidency, where many, many sanctions were um, created against China. There were also huge tariff hikes that the U.S. took up against Chinese-made goods, uh, at least worth $550 billion. And Australia and a few of the Western allies have followed suit. So, I mean, what does this mean then for Africa in terms of how the U.S. is positioning itself towards um, our continent? Very good question, Mika. Let's start by listening to what U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said this year in Pretoria. We recently awarded a $600 million contract to build an undersea telecommunications cable that will stretch over 17,000 kilometers from Southeast Asia through the Middle East, the Horn of Africa, to Europe, delivering high-speed, reliable, secure connections for people across the continents. The way this infrastructure is built will reverberate for decades. 
After all, we've seen the consequences. When international infrastructure deals are corrupt and coercive, when they're poorly built or environmentally destructive, when they import or abuse workers or burden countries with crushing debts. That's why it's so important for countries to have choices, to be able to weigh them transparently with the input of local communities without pressure or coercion. Now, it looks like the Biden administration insists it's not focused on geopolitical rivalry and competition um, with Russia and China in Africa, but its new document outlining its policy in sub-Saharan Africa going forward is full of references to Russia and China. Here are some selected highlights I would like to read for you. From the document, U.S. allies and partners in Europe, the Middle East, and the Indo-Pacific increasingly regard Africa as integral to their national security, and many are committed to working with the United States to advance high standards, value-driven, and transparent investments, as well as addressing political and security crises. The People's Republic of China, PRC, by contrast, according to the document, sees the region as an important arena to challenge the rules-based international order, advance its own narrow commercial and geopolitical interests, undermine transparency and openness, and weaken U.S. relations with African peoples and governments. Russia views this region as a permissive environment for parastatals and private military companies, often fomenting instability for strategic and financial benefit. Russia uses its security and economic ties, as well as disinformation, to undercut Africans' principled opposition to Russia's further invasion of the Ukraine and related to human rights abuses. So this is from the document. I have one more quote from it that kind of gives you a gist about what this is really all about. In line with the 2022 National Defense Strategy, the Department of Defense will engage with African partners to expose and highlight the risks of negative PRC and Russian activities in Africa. So just looking at some selected quotes from this policy document itself, it seems the main driver and motivation of the U.S. Africa policy going forward will be Russia and China and not actual engagement with African people on issues that concern us, that are priorities to us. And I just want to say that I think what also should be highlighted is the position in 2021 is very much, you know, the cautionary tale of China and Africa versus this kind of total flip uh, which indicates to many of us a bit of a scramble where they're saying, no, actually, don't worry about what we said last year. You guys get to choose. So clearly their policy is almost entirely informed by China and others' presence on the African continent. But if we look independently at what China has done in, in recent uh, days and weeks is China is promising to cut import tariffs, as you mentioned in the introduction, on almost all taxable items that are being shipped from 16 of the world's poorest countries, which, you know, in Africa, that includes Mozambique, Eritrea, Central African Republic, Guinea, Sudan, Chad, 
as well as countries like Bangladesh, Nepal, Laos that are in other parts of the world. And these are some of the countries that are, are actually the poorest in the world and who really have only st struggled further due to the COVID pandemic and the various economic restrictions and downturns that accompanied it. And so the Customs Tariffs Commission of the State Council of China said last week that it will act at around 98% of taxable products. And these cuts are going to be in effect on the September the 1st, which would cover around 8,700 different imports, uh, which also is in line with some of what President Xi Jinping mentioned at the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation that happened last November in Dakar, Senegal. Of course, what's important is that these tariff cuts for China essentially have little or no um, big impact. It's like a drop of water in the ocean in terms of what they'll lose. Uh, so it is pretty easy to implement and shouldn't receive a lot of pushback from Chinese economists. Now, trade between China and Africa is growing. The General Administration of Customs of China noted in June this year that bilateral trade between China and Africa amounted to 254 billion US dollars in 2021. That's an increase of 35% from 2020. That's amazing. Just considering uh, we had COVID, we've been going through a pandemic that isn't yet over. So according to Quartz, most of this growth is due to the rise in Chinese exports to the continent throughout the pandemic, which includes uh, vitally, crucially needed uh, PPE, masks, hazmat suits, and pharmaceuticals. We need and we needed to fight the pandemic. Africa exported goods worth about 105 billion US dollars to China, which was an increase of 43.7% from the previous year, that being 2022. Now, China is increasingly importing agricultural products and manufactured goods from the African continent, in addition to its continued strong focus on oil precious minerals and metals. Of course, everything you need to keep an industrial economy going. Now, Africa imports from China are mainly focused on manufactured goods, such as electronics, clothing, appliances, and other technological inputs. Interestingly enough, and not surprising perhaps, Nigeria is Africa's biggest importer of Chinese goods, while South Africa is the biggest exporter from Africa to China. Other major exporters include Angola and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And uh, three of Africa's four biggest producers of metals and oils are also on that list of big exporters to China. Other key imports that have been bolstered, that is imports uh, going into China, have been consumer goods like uh, coffee from Ethiopia, black tea from Kenya, and wine from South Africa. So really, the best of the best of um, African commodities are um, competitive in the Chinese market and are finding a market for themselves there. Now, there is an economic dimension to this in the greater context of this uh, trade, and that is that um, China is aiming to overtake the EU as Africa's biggest trade partner by 2030. This is a according to a new report by the Economist Intelligence Unit. Uh, this report was published on the 3rd of August and says that China plans to continue investing in Africa's natural resources and may increase expenditure on agriculture. 
Now, according to the uh, Economist Intelligence Unit, and I quote directly, this will substantially boosting and diversifying bilateral trade flows is a major policy objective for China. Amazing. Now, there are some concerns that they have uh, expressed over this, and uh, I quote again, China's big shift is that its economic and commercial operations are becoming more like India, becoming more corporate. Instead of building hospitals, sports stadiums, and other such public institutions, large Chinese companies are now investing in different things. That is from the Economist Intelligence Unit. Well, not unexpected. Corporates have their own interests. Yeah, of course. And I think that we can't underplay the fact that there are various commercial interests that are at play that don't come from altruism or, you know, pure hearts per se. But I think we have been trying to and will continue to try to uncover how the material benefits and the qualitative results of this do differ from any form of the Western engagements or the systematic colonial exploitations in the past and neo-colonial forms that are being taken by various Western entities uh, across the continent. Um, but we we do consider and we will continue, hopefully with some guests, discuss what this means for the African continent in terms of our own pursuit of our self-development. And I want to contrast this a little bit with the Forum on China-Africa conference uh, that meets every few years, began in the early 2000s, that is a platform for basically bilateral state engagement between the African continent's member states, as well as nearly all the member states of the African Union, as well as China. So, you know, FUKAK has become a, a really, I think, important space, and we've seen And we're raising this because we want to contrast this to certain, you know, very strict commercial interests on the African continent, is that the Chinese state does have an interest in participating economically. Um, But as we've seen with this recent cut in tariffs, the kind of trade promotion program it has is does have a political underlying that there is an assistance and a direction towards poorer countries, less developed countries, which for us is is a a political goal in itself. How do we develop our most underdeveloped countries? And some of the things that were raised last year, that now, of course, we're only seeing, we're only going to see in the next couple of years how these agreements come to play. But the basic five areas around trade that were promoted during the FOCAC agreement in November 2021 was one, to create green lanes for African agricultural exports to China. And this would basically speed up the inspection and quarantine processes. It would increase the scope of products that enjoy the zero tariff treatment, as as now we're seeing with uh, least developed countries. Um, that do have diplomatic relationships with China, uh, which we, will be another conversation another day. Two is that there was going to be a bid to reach around $300 billion in total imports from Africa in the next year, which we're seeing it near, as, as Amadeus explained, some of those finances or those economics. The third was that China... Mika, sorry to budge in, but I have a question here. So China is actually pledged, it has set a target for itself to import 300 US dollar 300 billion US dollars yeah. worth of african products how many products um has the US and the uh, EU pledged to import from uh, africa 
That is unknown to me. Do you know? That is unknown to me. But I don't think that there's this dollar figure per se. I don't think there's a dollar figure, but maybe we can link something in the bio with that exact information or tweet it out uh, when we we share this when we share this podcast. But I mean, the other agreements that I just want to quickly touch on is that there were three others where China wanted to provide about 10 billion of trade finance to support um, the export of African goods, as well as, you know, to deepen cooperation in industrial parks for the Belt and Road Initiative, which, you know, stretches not only in Africa, but across Asia, even in some parts of Europe. Then the last two was that China was going to undertake 10 connectivity projects extremely important because how do we actually trade if we don't have the digital infrastructure or the material infrastructure? And lastly, uh, they were going to form an expert group on economic cooperation with the African continental free trade area, which, you know, uh, basically started to be active about two years ago. And we still are yet to see it fully reap the, the kind of rewards it projected to. So, I mean, All of this, again, we're a bit stats heavy today, but it's to say that these are the kinds of things that are on the table. But I would like to say from the African perspective, because I think this is what we're trying to do in most of our our sessions, is to raise the question of African agency and our ability to intervene, and not only in these agreements, but in the geopolitical world of today, is that I was actually at the FUKAK meeting in November with a colleague of mine, And what was really remarkable or kind of stood out to us and was a bit disappointing, to be honest, was the kind of African engagement. It felt very one-sided, not necessarily, I think, because of China or what China proposed. They, They came with certain propositions. African leaders accepted it. But the actual tenor of the event, it didn't seem as though Africans were as invested in not only putting their name into the document, putting their stamp on the document and even creating their own proposals. Like we could have proposals around having Chinese students come to various elite African universities that have rich, you know, academic academic landscapes. But what we saw was almost a kind of lethargic acceptance of the proposal and not necessarily the push from the African side or the give on the African side, but rather the receiving that is a little bit reminiscent of of some of the ways that Africa has interacted, unfortunately, under very strict neoliberal strangleholds with Western donors and Western financial institutions. And what I thought really struck me and struck my colleague was even the age. Most of the Africans were much, much older than those of the Chinese counterparts. There were a lot of young Chinese delegates who were participating. They also had a hybrid event where they were also having a uh, business uh, business forum at the same time. And in the business forum, it also felt like a lot of the energies and proposals were coming from the Chinese side. When we know we have a continent of over 1 billion people who are extremely young, that could have been an opportunity to present young entrepreneurs and the kind of young entrepreneurial ventures, even from a most liberal perspective, that could help and assist and advance the continent's development. So we were a little bit disappointed at the lack of creativity coming from um, our own leaders who represented uh, Africa. And it was most striking when in the Chinese president Xi Jinping's closing remarks at the 
you know, eighth ministerial conference of the FOCAC, he chose to utter some words that were initially said by the Senegalese, the first Senegalese president and a pioneer of the anti-colonial struggles, Leopold Senghor. So he quoted, and I, I want to quote Leopold Senghor's words, where he finished his speech saying, let us answer present at the rebirth of the world. And for Senghor, this was a call for Africans to advance their struggles on their own terms and be ready as we start to transform the world from the colonial situation to hopefully a liberated, independent situation. And it just struck me in that moment because that's exactly what we are doing in our different social movements is we're trying to be present and answer present as we are changing and shaping a different world based on different economic, political, and social relationships based on people and their needs, not profits. So I think, Amadeus, going forward, it will be interesting to see how African leaders show that presence and show that initiative when they are embarking on these kinds of bilateral and trade and various forms of engagement, not only with China, but uh, as we saw from Naledi Pando, who uh, maybe we can give a clip uh, at the end of this, where she was saying that, you know, we want to act on our own accord. We don't want to get caught up in the conflict. So maybe we can play that clip now. Let's go for it. Countries are free to establish relationships with different countries. African countries that wish to relate to China, let them do so whatever the particular form of relationships would be. Uh, we can't be made party to a conflict between China and the United States of America. And I may say it does cause instability for all of us because it affects the global economic uh, system. Um, we, we really we hope that uh, the United States and China will ally, arrive at a point of rapprochement where all of us can look to economic development and growth for all our countries, because that's extremely important for all of us. And these are two great powers, the two biggest economies in the world. They've got to find a way of working together to allow us to grow. And that is South African Minister for International Relations, Naledi Pandora, closing this episode of The Crane, an Africa-China podcast. Please follow us on your favorite social media platform. Uh, we are on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube under Dongsheng News, one word. And don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps with the algorithm and it helps more people like you discover this podcast. Thank you very much for listening in. Until next time. See ya. See ya.